Hello, I'm John Waters, and I'm supposed to announce there is no smoking in this theater, which I think is one of the most ridiculous things I've ever heard of in my life. How can anyone sit through a length of a film, especially a European film, and not have a cigarette? But don't you wish you had one right now? Mm, 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 mm. And I'm telling you, smoke anyway. It gives ushers jobs. And if people didn't smoke, there would be no employment for the youth of today. So once again, no smoking in this theater. Thank you very much for listening to Trilove, a literal roundtable podcast where we talk about movies we saw or people we met at the Trilon Cinema in Minneapolis, Minnesota. You can find us on Twitter at Trilove Podcast. You can find the Trilon at Trilon Cinema and at Trilon.org. My name is Jason Daphnis. You can find me on Twitter at Nintendoofus. I'm Cody Narvison. I would go to Kyoto and take a nap. And you can find me on Twitter at Cody underscore BH. When I die, uh, put me in a big pot and drop me to the bottom of a lake. I'm Harry Mack, and you can find me on Twitter at Shiitake Harry. Folks, I have something to confess here. My name is not actually Aaron. Um, I'm just a decoy. I was put into place uh, after Aaron died last year in a tragic go-karting accident. Uh, but if you want, you can find me impersonating Aaron on Twitter at RB, please. Between Capitan and now your new role is duplicate doppelganger i don't know how to refer to you anymore it's the year of the uh, obscured grossman identity but that is not what this podcast is about this podcast is about a movie and we have uh, a very special guest joining us for today thank you very much peter hoganson for being on the show peter where are you calling from uh hi i'm uh, peter hoganson i'm calling from (laughs) calling from london in the united kingdom in england uh and i guess this is actually the shadow of a uh, of a of a you know semi professional editor uh, coming yeah. coming to talk about um, uh, Kagemusha today, uh, <laughs> I'm I'm really excited to talk about this film uh, and also I guess about some of the other things that I've been doing over here yeah. Uh, yeah. across the pond tell from us, you guys. Tell us a little bit about what you do. Yeah, so I just finished a, a, a master's degree in filmmaking at the London Film School, uh, which is kind of where I've been for the last three years now um a lot of that has been the pandemic um and fortunately uh amid all of that in the last uh like last july i shot my grad film which was an lgbtq world war one film uh which was repped on this podcast uh during our during our kickstarter at the time we will Um, take all credit for its (laughs) successful funding you are very welcome peter yeah, we uh, we had we 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 successfully funded that. Well done to the Trial of Podcast uh, and to all of our backers there. Um, then we then we shot that like almost straight afterwards, um, and we are I th- like very close, very close to finally bringing this like back to everyone who supported us, um, and you know getting this out into the world. It's been a slow slow post-production process um you know as as labors of love often are i think that i think that we'll talk about i hope that we'll talk about today like kind of what you can get done with just like unlimited budget and like unlimited constraints because oh, yeah. <laughs> you have george lucas backing your, your yeah film because that might help <laughs> <laughs> um yeah epic scale uh certainly we had it um you know it was a, it was a it was a week with you know people people in in period costumes which you can see uh on my instagram at p hoganson um hey there's a plug how about that yeah yeah there we go so life underground at p hoganson uh if you're looking for some editing done 
uh, yeah, that's me. <laughs> Great. Well, it's a wonder to have you on. Uh, thank you very much for joining us, Peter. Um, so I should do a little bit of housekeeping myself and mention that this is, play- sorry, the movie we're about to talk about, Kagemusha is playing at the, or sorry, did play at the Trilon as part of their uh, Elegy for a Master late Kurosawa series. There are two films left in this series, um, Dreams and Ran. And uh, if you're listening to this and you're in the area, go to Trilon.org and find tickets to those. It was a wonderful experience to get to catch even one of these on 35 millimeter. And I think all four of the films in this series are. Uh, so anyway, Without further ado, we get to the part of the show I, why why I know you're all actually <laughs> listening. It is it is the Aaron Grossman summary. I was say without further ado, and it's a place that everybody skips. Like you know that 15 second skip button in every podcast. <laughs> um, yes, yeah, so we we are talking about Kagemusha, 1980 film directed by Akira Kurosawa. Uh, Kagemusha is a film set in the Sengoku period of Japanese history, which is a, a little bit of context a 150 year long about in there a period of just like constant civil war strife social change um the film specifically follows an unnamed thief who is captured by the leaders of the uh Takeda clan uh and is spared from crucifixion due to his absolutely uncanny resemblance to the uh, Takeda clan's daimyo uh Takeda Shinjin uh Shingen Shinjin uh when Shinjin dies shortly after uh being shot by a sniper uh, the remaining leaders of the clan establish the thief as a kagemusha which is a term meaning shadow warrior uh essentially he must ask uh, act as a decoy, uh, fooling the Takeda clan's enemies, as well as those uh, in the clan who are close to the now deceased lord himself. Uh, I think from an acting standpoint, kind of most uh, prominently here would be uh, Tatsuya Nakadai, uh, a previous uh, uh, nominee, but not winner of the the uh, King of the Year uh, at the, the Golden Berries. King of the Trilon, baby. Ceremony. King of the Trilon, yes. Um, he plays the uh, Kagemusha as well as uh, uh, the Lord Shinjin uh, himself. Uh, Kagemusha was a, a critical and uh, commercial success. Uh, it followed up uh, the film that we talked about last week, uh, Dersu Uzala, um, which uh, we all liked quite a bit. It was a film that was uh, successful mostly internationally uh, as opposed to in Japan. Um, but Kagemusha w- was successful in Japan and internationally, commercially, critically, everything. Uh, and this film, along with uh, Kurosawa's next film, 1985 Ron, uh, helped to heal the director's reputation, which had kind of been damaged after his uh, ill-fated work on uh, the film Tora Tora Tora. Uh, it was nominated for two Academy Awards for Best Foreign Language Film and Best Art Direction. It did not win either. Um, I think also uh, uh, to mention is that this is Kurosawa's third film in color. Uh, the film is often remembered for that use of color. Uh, I think specifically uh, the many scenes of battle in this film, as well as a uh, prominent dream sequence that takes place about halfway through the film. Um, Peter, uh, is my understanding that you are a big Kagemusha fan. Uh, I remember back in like college, this was like when you'd like make your list of your favorite films and whatnot. This was always the one that I was like, this is, this is your, this is your favorite Kurosawa. And I had not seen it, you know, but as someone who's like, you know, that guy made seven samurai, he made Yojimbo, all these. Um, what is it specifically? I think about Kagemusha. Do you still hold it in that high of regard and kind of what were your, your thoughts uh, kind of watching it again recently? Well, I'm actually kind of curious, you know, Aaron, like how, like, how do you rate it? Like, like in retrospect, like thinking about that, because, you know, back in like, uh, back in like secondary school and then at uni, I, I did like consistently rank like movies because I think everyone kind of, yes. like, yes. like, you don't like anything. I'd be like, that's not true. I like, you know, Kagemusha. Right. And then, um, 
I mean, so, so yeah. And I, I think after I saw it, I watched it like for the first time on like a, on like a criterion DVD that we just had lying around in my house. And I was like, I was kind of like, holy shit, <laughs> you know, when I saw it. Um, and like, yeah, I do stand by that. Like the film is just incredible, right? Like it's kind of as much movie as you can really throw at the screen in a lot of ways. And that's something that I think I certainly enjoy and that I think most people like ultimately like. Um, and so like watching it again, uh, you know, for the pod, for the podcast here, I was like, yeah, this is like, this is that good. Right. Um, like it stands up to so much rewatching, like there's just so much like detail hearing that it didn't win best production design. Like, like what? (laughs) Um, I, I, I don't know what, like, I don't really know like what else I'm supposed to say at this point. Like other than, yeah, I think it is just like, it's an absolute masterpiece. No, you've, um, and you've said it all. Yeah. Kind of, kind of like he, he like really is that good. And like he, this is the film that seems to be like, for me, the fullest expression of his work, hmm. you know? Um, and yeah, I, I definitely, I'd like to talk more, you know, in some ways I'd almost like to talk more about like that, like what it means to be like Kurosawa directing this film in some ways, rather than like just how, how great and like incredible it is to like see these scenes on screen. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's kind of, that's, I guess my first, like that's the biggest overview that I think I could, could possibly give. No, that was, that was get perfect. Nitty gritty. No, we'll, we'll do that throughout. Yeah. Um, okay. Okay. I'll, I'll just give my top level thoughts. I want to be super duper brief, not least because I have a dumb joke to hand off to Cody with, and I don't want to take too much time actually getting into my thoughts. I, w- I want to play up the comedy, you know, um, the, uh, what I want to talk about is like, obviously narratively, like, I, I don't know how movies are made. I'm impressed when I see them and I just have no idea how to really tell the effort that goes into them. This one is the efforts very clear, <laughs> uh, knowing what I know about Kurosawa's, um, you know, career to this point and sort of a lot of the struggles that he had gone through just through, you know, making this podcast, um, and sort of what his career looked like 20, 15 years before this movie was made absolutely wild to know that this movie exists and sort of there's that sort of provenance behind it. But, um, I like narratively fr- from a like creative standpoint of what this story actually tells, I want to talk about how it uses that thief, the nameless thief, the Kagemusha as a lens for sort of, excuse me, exhibiting the absurdity of generally conflict and the sort of social and power hierarchies that sort of enable and maintain it. Um, it like, I don't go into this movie with that sort of expectation. I knew nothing about it, um, but it's right there on the face for me. So I, it's one of those things I really want to get off my chest while I'm talking, while we're talking about the film. Um, but I also want to talk about, uh, you know, how that lens changes while we, while we're watching it. Like there's this really bizarre effect where um, we are sort of with the thief and we sort of see one story being set up of like, how is he going to screw it up? What is, what is going to happen? It's almost like a comedy of errors style that it could have become. Um, and there's, but there's a moment like, at the dream sequence in particular um, that really sort of, I think puts us on a different path toward where the movie actually ends up and sort of the, the tragedy of what is left uh, as, as, as a result of that. Um, I also want to talk about how funny this movie is. This is such a goddamn funny movie at times that I did not, I like the poster and all the promotional material around it, super like samurai and like really earnest and, and, and stoic. And it's just fucking funny as Oh my God. There were parts that had me like laughing out loud in the theater. There are a lot of moments I could point out specifically, but I will waste uh, no more time actually getting my critical thoughts and instead um, 
I, I, I have to go off mic now because I just found this gigantic clay pot sitting in the middle of my apartment and it says that there's treasure in it. So I, it's a bit weird that it's just big and here and like covered in, in silk, but like, I'm, I'm just going to start like, I think I'm going to just start chipping away at it, find out what, what's inside. And like, you know, if there's treasure, I, I want to get it, but like, if I can just, uh, oh my God, oh my God, is that, is that Cody? Oh. Coming out of my vase, and I've been doing just fine. Uh, oh, yeah, thanks no. for getting. <laughs> yeah, uh, by God, that's Cody's music. Yeah, thank you for letting me out, Jason. Um, very kind of you. Uh, yeah, this is um, uh, Kagemusha is one of the the handful of uh, top tier Akira Kurosawa bangers that I had yet to see and have yet to see. And thankfully, the Trilon is showing a bunch of those in the same series, which is great for my own selfish watch list agenda. So shout outs to the Trilon. Um, yeah, topmost thoughts. This is an incredible film. Uh, I, as I, as I am, because I, I, I can be a simpleton sometimes i i've don't shorten that to simp that's not what that means um but the runtime has definitely like put me off of this movie before in the past and um as i'm sure it has others um but the the thing about kurosawa um hot take is that he makes filmmaking like really easy and digestible and engrossing and like very tangible and easy to latch onto. And, and like this, it's a big stretch of a movie, but it's broken up into like structurally it's very, you know, like the first act we're characterizing this, this thief and uh, the clan as well. The middle act is, uh, I think as as Jason um, uh, characterized as well, it's like a series of little challenges for the double to to confront and to overcome, and you know, sort of build upon uh, those like little scenes one by one. And then the third act is him, uh, the double coming into his own, and eventually uh, maybe trying to prove too much. Um, and he, you know, he gets found out the clan is subsequently, you know, then overridden uh, following their ill fated participation in the the Battle of Nagashino. And um, you know, we've talked. Most recently in the Dursu Uzala episode about the the humanism uh, that Kurosawa is really great about injecting into his movies. You see a lot of that here. Um, you see the double sort of um, receive uh, those types of um, sentiments and stories from these other characters and outwardly project them um, into and like eventually, you know, to the point where he's showcasing the types of things that other people like to see and want to see from the the late Lord. And, um, you know, it, it, it makes for a fascinating discussion of, you know, power and power structures and like what makes them different when power is inherited versus when you bring in an outsider or, you know, elect someone or, you know, force that blackmail them into, into taking a, a seat of power, um, through some other means, uh, you, you know, the double fine success embodying the late Lord's creed of a mountain does not move. Um, and you, I don't know, it got me thinking about like displays of power and power maneuvers and how, you know, they can rely on things like illusion and actions and people being, you know, or, or copies of shadows of copies of shadows, etc. And how, you know, we're just like doing what the previous person did, um, and like what it really means to, to wield power. And so, um, yeah, I don't know. A lot of lot of other things swirling around my head about that, but I, that was a. I thought that was a cool cloud to have a hanging over this movie. I'm extremely glad to have finally watched it, um, and I uh, I love seeing that it stacks up favorably with top tier Kurosawa. Um, I haven't like ranked them or anything yet, um, but you know we have a few more to see in this series, so I you know that's still sort of in in flux. But um, enough from me. Uh, now to pass it over to Harry, who I see over here, he's skillfully aiming um, his rifle using a little like bag of sand as a counterweight. So maybe if Harry could just like mark his progress uh so i can hand him the microphone that would be that'd be pretty cool 
Do you remember when that dude, when he finally fires, he's not even looking at his target. He's just like it's checking so cool. shit out. And then you're like, it's like that guy went off, huh? Like, wow. Um, I'm, I'm really, uh, glad that Peter brought up in particular the sort of like meta textual history of this movie. Um, it's almost frustrating, right? Cause I feel like we could do two totally separate episodes. One where we're just sort of like examining the text itself. Um, and one where we talk about everything that Kurosawa is, is like saying about his career and what he feels like movies can be used for um and it, it it's such a testament to kage musha that like i think that it it accomplishes both of those things simultaneously without um harming either one right like i think it, it fully pulls off being like this incredibly engrossing accessible and hilarious movie which that's a really good point too jason that like we were sitting there in the trilon watching kage musha on 35 millimeter and the whole theater was laughing their asses off right it's like that is not something you would expect walking into this movie um but boy was it fun to watch um but yeah i mean i think that that it's this movie accomplishes so much simultaneously, right? Like I, I can't even, it's almost hard to even start, but you just like, um, my most head ass opinion is that like, I think it's like literally Kurosawa's no theater movie. Like he's literally trying to leverage that Japanese history. There's a no performance within it. it it's about, um, role and in particular, um, identity expressed through movement and through posture. Um, a mountain does not move. There, there's an iconic, um, pose that that the kage musha strikes in order to make himself feel like he is the late lord and you kind of see it elements of the late lord's identity bleeding into his and vice versa are in in the way that his um personality sort of inflects everyone else um it's it's also sort of like kurosawa's uh shakespeare right where it's like this reminded me a lot of throne of blood but it's like kurosawa's trying to take on his own and use japanese history to further inflect that um it's kurosawa's color movie pretty indisputably right like this is this is just his big swing when it comes to what color can be used to accomplish and just in general like like it, in terms of like what he's saying about his own story and about history and about sort of widening the lens uh, of of empathy and understanding of context through film, all of those things are like, as Peter noted, like it really comes to a head here. Like this really feels like what Kurosawa's whole career has been building towards, which is so wild because I remember saying that about like half of the Kurosawa movies we've watched, right? Where, but it's it's like he just keeps finding ways to do that and. Maybe that's the most exciting thing about this movie, right? Is that like we watched Ursu Uzala last week, which is a movie I love. Um, but it, it, it sort of, I thought at that time it was like, okay, 1978, like this is a leaner Kurosawa. This is a more humble Kurosawa. Like he's been humbled by life and his failures. And like, and then he comes out with this and it's like, holy shit, my man's back. Like we're back on top. It's, it, you can't how do you produce something like this? You know, like I, I saw, I mean, I felt that way about a lot of his movies, right? Particularly the crowd scenes, particularly the battle scenes. But I think this one, like nothing else, um, there were just so many moments in this movie where I was like, I don't know how it was possible to accomplish something like this on film. It, it It's astounding. It's almost distracting, except that it's not because the movie does such a great job with it. Um, so yeah, it, it, almost an impossible amount to talk about, but I'm so excited to talk about it. Um, and I, I guess maybe in this order, I've been the I guess I'm the fourth, so I'm I was the mountain. So now I guess uh, we've already done wind, forest, fire, and mountain. Sorry, Aaron, you can be the. Uh, I'm killing your entire. Yeah, group yeah, you're of the soldiers. ton of. I'm wiping of, uh, all of you. Up. Rifle fires that I'm just blow us all down, yes. like we're not even there. Yeah. <laughs> yes. 
the Nobu Obanaga of the pod. We've always said. Uh, look, look, folks. We, you know, uh, uh, when when kind of in, you know, uh, leading up to to Peter giving his opinions, I said that hey, Kagamusha is kind of, you know, it's one of those films. It's like clearly great, but like, ooh, best is that kind of a is that kind of a hot take? I myself am a person who my favorite my favorite Kurosawa film is Red Beard. That's a hot take by any you know stretch of the imagination uh you know harry uh you know last week was talking about dersu uzala being i don't think he said it was your favorite but maybe like kind of like a top three uh kurosawa um you know and i i was a, a bit cooler on that one dude with subject matter you know just like the it's so outdoorsy and, and about nature and all that and you know after after watching kagamusha folks we are fucking back in business no more of that outdoorsy nerd shit about walking and hiking in the forest no what do we got we got battles we have Tatsuya Nakadai. We have an epic scope and a sense of scale. We have an exploration of like social class structures and how they create contradictions that 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 cause the downfall of the people who follow them, but also it's necessary to follow them. This is a classic Kurosawa. We are back. Uh, I really like this film uh, quite a lot. I really dug it. I mean, I, I'm excited to dig into the use of color, which is like again like so striking. Um, the sense of scale, which is is something that we had talked about. Uh, Hidden Fortress, I think we had talked about uh, specifically like Kurosawa, like the the, the scene is, uh, you know, with the, the stairs, of course, uh, in Hidden Fortress. Kurosawa loves some giant scenes with stairs with like hundreds of extras just like lined up along the oh, sides. Man, yeah. um, it, it, it's like a dumb guy thing to say, but it's like I love, you know, kind of quieter, more intimate Kurosawa, but it's nice to just see one of his films that are just like balls of the walls just like going all out uh you know a million extras horses everywhere um really enjoyed this and i hope i have more intelligent thoughts on the actual content of the film later on but none of those are coming now because you are just brain neutral no it's on just, it, it's just a good it's a good time you know what uh, and then the next I, thing is like the next film we get to watch of his is ron so yeah let's let's like yeah. let's one one two let's go yeah let's make yeah. it happen um i want to start off with uh peter if i can um and ask you mentioned uh the phrasing i think you used was like that this film might be the fullest expression of kurosawa's work uh and i know you got a little bit of time to talk about that but could you go a little deeper on that yeah no actually i think going going around the, the round table really kind of kind of develops that you know, to, to, to me as well. Like I'm hearing, you know, uh, you, like, like, like the reaction I think that I have is similar, like more similar to Aaron where it's just like, you know, Oh my God, it's so much right. Um, mm -hmm, to, mm -hmm. to take in, like, that's, that's the, that's the effect of, of that's like, like the experience of seeing it for the first time is like that. Um, but like watching it again, I was kind of like realizing like, like I think uh, Harry's kind of alluding to is, is like, this is a very, and, and, and you as well, Jason is just like, this is a very like deeply literary film, which like a lot of Kurosawa's films, like, you know, he's borrowing from, you know, either like Japanese mythology or like Shakespeare or whatever. Dostoevsky. Yeah. Yeah. All like all forms of, you know, like, like all sources, but like just on its, on its own, this film is like, it's very well, like I, like I was appreciating the writing and I was appreciating like motifs and symbols that like, you know, are no doubt always there in the work of like the master, right? Like Kurosawa, you know, no one's saying that like, that's that, that like that isn't there like in, in all of his great, great films or anything like that. But like just the way they were hitting this time, I was just like, Oh my God, like this, the, from the first shot, I'm like, there's, there's the three of them. 
the guy in the middle, like the, the king is the only one with like this shadow, like hiding behind him. And like the way he finds different places to put the like family crest, you know, like mm-hmm. and separate it from, from uh, the, the, the shadow warrior, you, you know, throughout this film, like those are things that like, I know that they're there and that like, I see them, you know, um, that I, like I'm beginning to just like appreciate even more and more just like how, mm-hmm. how do you do that and have like you know find the time to like manage you know this many hundreds of people i i like it's it's just incredible yeah um yeah, so i think that's kind of what i mean by expression sorry no i i would i would agree with all that i think that there's something like it, it does feel like deeply you know literary yes but also like as you mentioned like mythological in a way right like the the exploration of um what it means to like take up the role of a person and, and by uh, uh, it, you know, adhering to this role and by fitting very cleanly into uh, the context around that person and who they were and what they did, you can like fully become that person is like, I mean, it's, it's like so like deep and there's so much that this film does with that. But then even like the way that, um, that, that the, the Kagemusha is kind of done in at the end uh, by attempting to ride this horse, right? This like creature that does not adhere to these rigid social structures. Uh, and like, that is the thing that like kind of leads to his downfall. Similarly, uh, Shingen's son, uh, uh, you know, the, the, the circumstances at the very end of this film that, that kind of lead to, to, you know, everybody's downfall. Um, it's like, it is like it feels like like uh, Kurosawa is playing with like very basic building blocks from a storytelling standpoint, but like doing like the most with all of them in like such a really fascinating way. Um, really enjoyed that. Like it, it does remind me of something like Seven Samurai that is doing the same thing around like social structures and class and like how you need how you need to fit into those molds, but how doing so is ultimately destructive as well. Yeah, um, exactly. It's great. Exactly. It's one of the most like easily like understandable films. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Um, and it, it, speaking of sort of Kurosawa's filmography, this is such a great piece of it too, because, uh, so many of Kurosawa's epics are characterized to me by their ambition, right? Like if I'm thinking about certainly seven samurai, but even something like Yojimbo, it's like, or hidden fortress, those are sort of like metatextual in the sense that Kurosawa is trying to get you to sort of not only recontextualize this story, but also sort of like what we learn from this story or this revisitation of the story in terms of what it means for history. And I think that on sort of like an existential level, this is like very much maybe Kurosawa's biggest swing where he wants you to sort of re-examine the ways in which like these class structures have always been sort of uh, put upon and and a uh, strange or or uh, arbitrary fit onto humanity that hasn't really quite fit well, and it's always been something that has been um, pretended or something that has been affected and something that can come unwound, uh, but that nonetheless has such power in identity formation and discovery. Right, like even to the point where the two characters that you mentioned, Aaron, they're both brought down essentially because they start to get high on their own supply. Right, like they start to buy the their own narrative that they had forwarded for other people. They start to think maybe I really am this guy, um, which is fascinating. Especially like Peter, you were saying like the way that the fundaments of this society so clearly step toward that where where it's like everybody has like their their crests and everybody has their like family um identifiers and these flags and these clans and it's like it's all about 
the role that you play, uh, which is which is the word that no connection comes from for me, right? Where it's like these people are empty but for their roles and the way that their roles sort of inform their behavior. And I really like that as a statement, but even more, there's something more nuanced here that I that I really appreciated, um, which is that this movie is in many ways a satire. I think that's where the humor comes from, right? We're supposed to think it's kind of absurd and funny the way that this society works, but the characters themselves are never disparaged, right? Like they are nonetheless seen as deeply sympathetic and understandable characters and even characters that we can personally relate to. And I, I think that that is such a hard... Uh, tightrope to walk. And I think the fact that it does it is what creates that sort of classic Kurosawa empathy, right? Where it's like, by the end of this movie, we're not only supposed to see that these class structures or these identity structures that are imposed are so arbitrary and so sort of destructive to identity and being. Um, But we're also supposed to understand the ways in which they actually did inform behavior, the ways they continue to inform behavior and why, right? Like we can sympathize with the Kagemusha's final charge. Like we understand what brought him to that point psychologically, even though it's something that came completely from uh, a sort of like understanding of reality that is outside our own and it's it's just amazing the way that the the movie trains you to get there and the way that you can come to understand that and it's really like i think in my mind it's like that's what kurosawa is attempting right like kurosawa wants you to come away from this movie not only with a better understanding of these people in this story but with a better understanding of maybe how his theme informed human behavior in general right like this feels like something that teaches you about the way people are in a, in a really um fundamental way that i really appreciated the 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 whole film and everything in it is about like you know can that can that shadow even like come up and like live mm-hmm. live on its own yes. kind of, right like can can that can that role right like you know exist exist like like apart from the person like who who has it or something yeah. like that yeah well that's that i think is what makes the role of the thief such an important like specific vector of that like concept right uh because he is he's introduced to sort of like i don't want to say counterculture but he's like a black mark on society for these people he is a thief he like it was a petty crime but it was a crime he was about to be crucified for stealing you know, crumbs or whatever it was like some obscene punishment for such a small crime. Um, and because of that perspective, like, like Harry was saying, uh, and, and like you just mentioned, Peter, it's like, can, uh, can the person who is, I guess like the, the answer that it comes up with is no, is that, I mean, at least in my view is that like, he has up to, I think the dream sequence, he has like sort of these intimations that he is trying to change the role for himself, that he's trying to be more maybe jovial, maybe like, like I'm thinking of when I, and I forget if it actually comes, this might be undoing my point because I don't remember if it comes before or after the dream sequence, but when he says a mountain does not move and instructs his men to not like act. And then of course, one of them does and subverts his rule and sort of kicks off the whole uh, third act. But, um, that, like he's trying to, in a way, leave his mark on that role, on this person, on, on Shingen as as like a, a leader, as the as a legacy of this person. And uh, by the end of it, he is just playing it out, like with a full, with more gusto than Shingen probably ha- would have. Like he he has changed it somewhat, but he is still subsumed by it. He is still like he still dies alone, clutching a banner in a river of blood. Uh, and that is not that is not the death that he would have had had he continued his you know course of existence as a thief if he hadn't been caught anyway. Uh, so I, I really like how 
specifically like pulling a person from, you know, presumably the lower caste of society, uh, being somebody so far removed from the, you know, this code of honor and ethics and the hierarchies that, it, that they're built on, um, and saying, okay, that what if this person so diametrically opposed to everything that this role stands for? what if he was a vector for like examining those things? That's where we get the humor. I think for the first act is like, he's subverting it in ways. That's where we get the tragedy of the, of the final of the, of like the close, at least I'm probably rambling now, but, but at least that's like what everybody's saying here is like bowling up and yes. And yes, everybody's like everybody, what everybody's saying is right. But then like the tragedy to me is it's, it's embodied in this person who could have had something of a more meaningful existence and instead is sort of subsumed by that legacy. The shadow is, is sort of stomped on by, by the body that cast it in a way. Yeah. He's like a perfect POV character, right? Because he literally enters this shadow world of politics and intrigue. Um, and I, I really liked what Peter had said. And I think that that's the playful sort of element of the, um, title itself, right? Is that like the Kage Musha obviously refers to our main character, but also, everyone in this movie is a shadow of something, right? I mean, like, the the great tragedy is that, like, the mountain himself was not a mountain. In fact, his entire political career, he had a whole coterie of dudes who were trying to perpetuate his illusion, right? His story is that he's this unkillable uh, god warrior who is meant to unify Japan. He dies. They have to put together this whole dog and pony show to make sure that that legacy lives on. Um, so the mountain wasn't, right? The mountain moves because it's not a mountain. Uh, all of these people, this Oda Nobunaga and, and everybody else, like these aren't like in in politics as in life like these people are not the roles that they assume they are just assumed roles right and there's something about the assuming of that role that sort of makes shadows of us all right where it's like it's it's that tragedy that you spoke to jason is it really well characterized because it's like this is a man who chose to become nothing in some ways right because he didn't know that he had another choice or something or just like um the warlord's brother right the warlord's brother says like i am a shadow and and when the original dies um there is no there's nothing left for me to be and it's like well what if the original is a shadow right like what if this is all a shell game of um shadows reflecting shadows images reflecting images um you get this thing right and it, it all leads up to this ultimate refutation of the sort of illusion of power where it's like all of these people rush with the philosophy that's embodied by the warlord right we get to see literally kurosawa shows us the wind the forest the fire and the mountain like making their charges one by one and they're just mowed down by rifles over and over again and then we get this horrifying five minute sequence where uh like it's just like uh horses and men covered in blood falling over each other which is devastating by the way like one mm -hmm, of the hardest mm -hmm. uh endings i've ever seen in something um and it all it works out so well and cody it reminded me of something you'd said where it's it's about like all of the different identities like frightening you right like i i keep thinking about in the dream sequence um the the kage musha says or he has the dream sequence where he sees the original, the the master, the warlord, uh, chasing him. And then all of a sudden that becomes different versions of himself. And when he wake, wakes up, he says, I was beset by thousands of enemies, right? Like that's how he characterizes the dream. It's wild. Yeah. And not to like go all the way back to just the visual components of this movie, but like 
um, what Aaron was talking about, like sort of kickstarted something for me, like, like Kurosawa doing the most with what he has. And then everybody else like had immaculate comments that sort of filled things in. So this is, if anything, just like squaring something for me, but like, it is important that this movie like looks the way it does because it allows so many other things to happen. And like when I, so I was watching it, you know, um, yesterday, watching this movie yesterday, and I got to the dream sequence and I got thinking about like, you know, um, right away, because uh, it's the only dream, it, it's the only dream sequence that happens like whatever, halfway through the movie or something. And every, everything before that, you can plainly see, okay, you know, those classic uh, Kurosawa shots of like, okay, there's, you know, hundreds of people sitting on a hill listening to a flute and like, he didn't have to do this, but he did. And it looks awesome. And like, he has these sorts of shots in in, like any other movie you watch with him. Like it's very, it's very grand scale. And like, so the, like the ornamentation is no surprise. And then you get to the dream and it's, you know, it's, it's the, you know, the set design and, um, you know, the production design, like it looks like it's in a dream, but it's like comparable, like the effort is not different. And like visually it gave me this, like, I don't, no idea if this is textual or not, but just like this, this vague sense that like, you know, the things that we see in dreams, like there's more that we, that like, there's more to this that can be found in reality than like, than we would maybe expect otherwise. Like this is, this is something that is registering with the double in a dream, but it is very much something like because of like visual similarities and like scale and, you know, depth of field and everything else, like because of like those similar qualities between real life and the dream sequence and back to real life, it's like, well, like everything he's dreaming about is just like, like he's, he's lived that and his, you know, the people that he's shadows for uh, this. I really hate that. I'm thinking of rise of Skywalker right now, but just like all of these things have <laughs> come. <in. laughs> you can edit that out if you want. That's like, Oh, I feel like I just, uh, yeah, that's gross. You just um, took but, a shit right in the middle of the Zencaster recording room. Yeah, and we all got to smell it. Audio cue. Yeah. That's, um, but like, this is obviously, um, uh, a much, much better, uh, expression of that idea. So like, and I'll, I'll, I'll try and wrap it up here, but just like, yeah, the, the, so like once that, you know, thinking of that, you know, everything else, it, it makes, it just makes sense. Again, like the, the visuals allow for so many other like things to feel like they are on that sort of grand, you know, capital E epic scale, you know, like movies get called epics, but like, this is actually epic because of how, um, like the, because of the visual posturing and everything else. Some directors maybe wouldn't want wind blowing in their shots, but like Kurosawa utilizes wind to like show that there are trees here. There is fire here that is like it's burning and fire creates shadows and you can see those too it's it's blowing the flags of these um clans who have been in existence for generations upon generations and like you can see those here because they're they're moving like so rapidly and and that's that's a choice um we can vote fo- you know the the scenes with the spies they're foregrounded but without all of the soldiers marching or you know the the clan members marching in the background then like like what is this like what is the shot accomplishing otherwise like we need to see what they're looking at we need to see the vastness of this this landscape in order to like i don't know to inject that like hint of you know fear or or danger or to like i don't know to like make that connection to what they're doing so um i don't know uh rambling at this point but yeah like the fact that there is nothing left to the imagination in this movie is like it's successful because this is like better than anything i could ever imagine um Mm -hmm. and yeah again that's i guess what maybe adds or like really locks in that sort of grandness and um uh i don't know uh, the, the, yeah i don't know the the mythical nature of it all i suppose yeah one of my favorite examples of that um and i even took a note during the movie was how until the very final battle 
where the thief dies and where basically everybody dies, just waves of waves of bodies. Um, we, that's like the first time we see all out like combat. Otherwise it's kind of like from the crust of the battlefield or from where the daimyo sits Well, daimyo, I guess I don't remember if they refer to him as that, but, um, and like, and off in the distance, you'll see the reds and blues and purples of like implied explosions and war and just screams and, and horses neighing and stuff. There's an implication there. There's like an importance of aesthetic that really like keeps you at a distance in some ways from the actual thing until it becomes like, oh, now he's a, he's a, again, a, a man in rags, uh, going forth between earth before an entire like battalion of guns. Um, it's like, there's one point I want to bring us to Harry. I want to squeeze out your final thoughts on that before we uh, move to the next though. Sure. I just really, I think that's such a smart way of thinking about it, Cody, where this movie is so formally interested in conflating dreams and reality. And especially even in the the sort of symbolism of, of what it's depicting, right? I mean, like even samurais, like the, the samurai code in Bushido code is so much about life being a dream, right? There's the dream of the butterfly and the dream of the man and, and samurai who think they're already dead. And even sort of like in terms of depicting fiction itself, um, it it's also about that, right? Where it's like, this is about cutting the other way, right? Where it's like, when you say that, that um, life is like a dream or a dream is like life, it, it's what, what you're trying to like explain there. And what I think this movie is trying to explain is that like, they're not so different, but not because uh, dreams are lifelike. It's because life is dreamlike, right? It's it's like when we see that that beautiful dream sequence, and then we see the colors represented the same way. It's it's to show us that like much as in a dream, are we really more than the roles that we assume? Are those roles really predetermined? Are they really um, so uh, opaque and solid that that they can't be changed, or are they? Like dreams, are they fluid? Are they something that are that is sort of happening to us? Something that that changes form and, and style uh, and meaning over time. And uh, it's it's like Kurosawa is is like using all of that, leveraging color and leveraging that symbolism in order to sort of like make a larger point about fiction itself. Therefore, right where it's like just as these people are coming to understand themselves as this sort of like dreamlike and changeable form therefore fiction can do something like that for us right it's like this this can be something that teaches us about reality even though it's fake it's like we're in a sense it's like this is kurosawa's like realization of history and he's like making something that you can take with you when you go well i i think um you you actually just at the end there like like touching on something that I was that I was just thinking about it's not, it's not just like fiction like it's it's kind of he's saying these things about like history as well because like this is this is like and you know maybe the like fiction or the story of like history in this way right but like you, you know in a funny way this is this kind of seems a bit more of like a like one of the more like real uh uh of of um realistic of the samurai you know films that the kurosawa made and i think that some of that is because like like this is a historical s- story. Like it's got these, you know, times coming up on the, on the screen. It's like, it is, you know, 1574 or whatever. And that's like, like, it's really important that you know that like a lot of the, there's something that I just like, I really believe the, the reality and just like the intense mm-hmm. detail of this film, like in a lot of ways, one of the things that like, I don't know if we'll talk about it later, but like that is, that was always so surprising to me. Like every time I watch the film is like when the, 
Dutch missionaries like show up and they're just like hanging out. It's like, it's so weird. Right. Like, but that's like, that's like some real like deep cut detail that like he has to like put there so that you like, like know. Um, but just, I, I don't know, try to, to try to bring it back to like some of the things that Harry is like going over my head on, you know, about like, like the sort of dream world of it is like the, the, the way the movie is constructed, even though it feels like so very real is very dreamlike. Like when you experience the like symbology of, you know, shadows in particular, I think in, in the film is like the experience of watching something that's probably Kurosawa's most real, realistic samurai film is also like one of his more dreamlike, if not his most dreamlike film. Yeah. Yeah. I think that the dream, like the dream components in it kind of make you, I'm trying to think of a a recent film that has a dream that is that striking. Um, And and I'm kind of coming up with nothing. Like it is, I think it is like, kind of wild that the dream is maybe a minute, two minutes uh, in the middle of this film. Yet that is, I think what the film is like uh, 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 mainly known for visually is like the, the colors in that dream. And then also I think, uh, uh, you know, that the, the many shots of soldiers marching and then kind of the sky painted this, this certain color, depending on which sequence we're talking about. But like, yeah, it, there is something uh, I, I think that he is attempting to kind of blend that dream sequence into the moments of reality when, when he does that with, uh, uh, you know, the silhouettes of the soldiers and whatnot. Um, the other thing is that I think that this is like a, a thought that's not like fully cemented. Um, but in regard to like this being uh, a very like real film or a historically grounded film, um, I do think that there is there is something. Uh, you know, I, I think that there, there's an obvious like parallel with the idea of this person kind of taking the role of this mountain, right? Um, this may be like uh, I mean I can't t- tend to think of Shakespeare when I think about it, but this idea of like acting right as this role and and how that ties into to filmmaking itself uh, kurosawa was somebody who did kind of put in these kind of meta elements in uh in his films i also think that the the role of uh oh what's his name uh oda uh nobunaga right as this um kind of this modernizing force right who is is i think from a military standpoint his uh his use of like firearms right which at that point would have been uh like just introduced maybe a decade, two decades ago to Japan, right? Um, and that being kind of uh, the the tool that kind of uh, ended the Takeda clan in the final battle. I think that there's maybe something there um, with Kurobasawa himself kind of, you know, uh, working uh, internationally for a little while and then kind of coming back to Japan. I don't like, I'm still kind of forming it, but it does feel like there is something very personal that is uh, kind of brought out in the war between these these kind of two competing sides. Yeah, well, and and just to characterize that further, because I think that's a really good point. It's like, it's super worth noting, like Peter had said, that like, this is maybe the most like depicted and and historically revisited period of of Japan history in Japan right like Oda Nobunaga is like the George Washington of i mean like not in in terms of politics that's not at all true but i'm i'm saying as in like every kid who's in like third grade knows what the revolutionary war is and knows who the founding fathers are that's Oda Nobunaga like to a T in Japan right to the point where like uh, we talked about the Dutch mercenaries there's that scene with the european wine like those are just Oda trademarks like that was just how that guy was and so it's like a reference to history that uh kurosawa is is deeply inserting here right and and to to 
Peter's point, like, so this is like the most historical thing that you can do, right? Is like to do a Sengoku movie. It's like that, that would be the equivalent of doing like a revolutionary war movie in America. And so it's like to, to do that and to, to ground your, uh, movie in such clear noted history to the point where we have dates and we have specific battles that you can read about in history books and then to use it to break down these harsh distinctions between dream and reality and fiction and reality it's that's pointed right like this is kurosawa saying that like these things are not so different because history has always been a narrative, right? And people's roles have always been a fiction. And in that way, what we're doing now, or like the the way people are, is not so different from this because it was always like this, right? It's a very modernist um, movie, which is why, I mean, that's even why, right down to the, like, why the satire works so well, right? Because it's like, there are a lot of points in this movie where we are supposed to think that the sort of like traditionalness of the samurai cultures are kind of funny. And I really think that's a feature, not a bug, right? Like, I really think that like, maybe there's something lost in translation now because we see that and we think, oh, maybe that's, that's just because this was a movie made in 19, the 1970s or the 1980s um, in Japan. But it's like, no, I think that for the audience that was contemporary, this was supposed to be a funny movie. Right. And that that humor is is also doing something that's breaking down those hard distinctions where it's like we're we're now revisiting these historical figures and understanding them better because of what we know now. Yeah, I, I just as kind of like a, a small kind of like add on to that point. I mean, we've, we've seen this. I, Kurosawa really likes making films kind of at the end of a certain period of history. Right. It is about the changeover, uh, the breaking down of certain um, uh, kind of st- cultural standards, social standards, and what that means for the people who are kind of left in the wake, right? Um, I, I specifically, just because of the the firearm, I mean, uh, we, we talked about it when we way back in the day did a Yojimbo episode. That That's not the same. That's hundreds of years uh, in, in the future. But but the kind of the thing in that film is is the the, the pistol, right? I mean, it's a kind of a, a reference to Westerns and then also inspired a bunch of Westerns, right? But like, the ability to then take these these rifles that were at the final battle in the, the film in Kagamusha and then carry that around individually uh, is kind of like the game changer there, right? And like, there's something about uh, a Kurosawa like examining the end of these periods to kind of make some sort of larger statement about the failures of the the period and then kind of what comes next that I think is like so fascinating and partly ties into like why this is a film that's like it is so deep but also. So like watchable, even for people that maybe aren't interested in, you know, Japanese films or history or whatnot. I think there's still something you can kind of um, uh, get out of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's we, we poked around it a little bit, but I want to I'm sorry. Did I jump in actually, Peter, on on your point? I, no, 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 no. I, I was I was going to plug my, my fucking movie, but never mind. <laughs> <laughs> do it. Do it. Do it. Oh, yeah, in what context, oh, yeah. Go for it. Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll keep it quick. Yeah. I, I just, I see an opportunity. I'm going to take it. Right. Like, I, I, I think that, I think that this is like a really interesting piece of like, uh, I, I, I'm, I'm seeing that like in a little bit, what I was trying to do with like this, this first world war is like to try to something that you can do with film that, that I hadn't fully realized that Kagamusha does quite well is like, you can sort of insert yourself in like the experience of being like, like in a firsthand way, like what it must be like to be you know, in that, in that period of history, like that's kind of the time machine feature of, of film in a way, right. Is like, 
you get the you you get to have the sort of like documentary you know picture perfect reality of it but also like can gain that like more subjective like dreamlike sense of like whoa that's like what it must have been like you know and uh, i i think and i hope that in life underground in my film you know just to just to cap it off like that we get a little bit of that sense of like that you know, not, not just like, like the sort of photographic reality or like, like that saving private Ryan look of like what it's like to be in, in a, in a war, but also just the subjective reality of like being, you know, trapped in the ground, for instance, or just like, you know, experiencing a major historical change, you know, to, to, to Harry's point. Sorry, sorry to plug my film. There, no, but please. Like, I was, I have out. a follow-up <laughs> question. In fact, um, I believe life underground is a, is a queer story as well, right? Yeah. Um, and like, that was, that, that was not like, like the first thing that like, I mean, I wanted to make a more gay, you know, war film, but but that's like a, you know, maybe that's a conversation for another time. Right. Like, like what's the biggest problem with Dunkirk that it wasn't gay enough. Right. Like, yes, absolutely. That's, that's pretty, I think that's pretty clear. A lot of Harry Styles fans that (laughs) offense to this. But but legitimately though, right. That's, that's something that you're doing, right. Is that like by reintroducing queer history, you're saying that this was always here. This is always something to examine. Yeah. Yeah. And, and actually like, uh, you know, um, not to digress too much, but like I, I, I had a, you know, there was a funny moment when I was like, I got a really good historical advisor. He was the historical advisor who worked on like on 1917 to, to, to work on my film. He's a cool guy. And like, you know, I, I, I sent him some email with this script and he sent me like right back, you know, these, you know, anecdotes about like people getting ejected from the, from the army, uh, for, for being like found, you know, nude sunbathing and shit like that. I was like, holy shit. Like this guy's like, this is, this is great. Um, yeah, but I mean, I, I, there, there is that sense of like, yeah, these stories are, my film is like, like fictional, right? So it's not quite, it's not really on that side exactly that like Kagemusha is, but like, you know, this doesn't like go, go away. Right. And it's just kind of like, um, I think, I think that there are certain features of like, like, human experience that seem to be just kind of like fairly constant in some way. Right. And it's just like, um, the, the, the sort of time and place just changes, right? Like the, the location is, is a little different. It was, it was really nice when we started putting those pieces together to start to like have, you know, this good metaphor and this good irony of like being in the closet and being like in the trench and like wanting to stay in the worst place in the world. Right. And, um, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe in my film, too much of that is like carried by dialogue, unfortunately, but that's just, you know, the, that's, that's like the idea of the title of like life, life underground in some sense is like being, you know, stuck in, in this place in some way. Um, yeah, yeah. That's, that's a conversation for another time. I'm actually really can unprepared I, for that one. <laughs> can I ask a, can I ask a, a, a filmmaking question? Uh, just for you, you'd kind of mentioned the, the budget question with Kurosawa and like scale, like yeah. what, yeah, what like what? Watching this film, like, what do you just say? Like, oh shit, I wish I had that. Like, I wish, like, <laughs> what is the what is the the person who actually works on this stuff as opposed to just blathering once a week, like like we all do? I guess. What are you kind of uh, taking from that side of things? Um, you know, I did have a thought about that when I was watching this. When I was watching this film, like, I, we 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 have to get back to 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 what Jason, you know, where where Jason wants to take us. He is the moderator after you know, all. Well, you know what's funny is this is exactly what I was going to ask you. Is like what makes your jaw drop? So I read his mind. Perfect. 
Um, I mean, there's a lot of things that there's a lot of things in this film that obviously make your jaw drop, right? Like just the, the scale of it is, you know, epic, like it's cast of thousands kind of thing. Now, I mean, I was, I was reminded of a, of the, there's a film, I guess it's an English film from the, from the seventies called Waterloo, which has maybe even bigger, like battles on screen. Like it, I don't know. That's that, like, that film is pretty crazy, but like, that's a digression. Um, what makes my draw drop in this film is kind of like the, the, the texture, like just getting, getting everyone dressed basically is something that I think is just kind of in incredible. And like, especially in these costumes. Now, when we did it, we didn't have any problems with it. Like you'd kind of just, you, you know, the, <laughs> The, the part of the benefit of it is that like everyone know, like you you know how to dress someone like that but i mean god the samurai armor is just like incredibly detailed like they're wearing so much stuff like all the time like everyone mm-hmm. that always blows me away however if i'll to just to hang on to it a little bit longer um something that was really interesting to me like watching this film for the first time after, you know, after making my film, um, was, I I think one of the other things that's really impressive is just balancing like your hills to die on as a filmmaker in, in some sense, because when you're working with something that's, that, that is as big as that, like, you know, horses, you know, masses of people, right? Like it's not going to go off right you know and sometimes sometimes something that i see a lot of you know young filmmakers filmmakers in general especially maybe in like our digital age you know like struggling with is they want to you know place every thing right and they want it to be like this way and i've i've often felt you know that if that's what you want to do and you want to be a filmmaker, you're kind of in the wrong business. You need to be an animator. Like that's, that's just what you have to do, right? Like you don't know how like anything is going to, in on, on some level, you don't know how anything is going to, going to, going to happen, right? Like just the physical world will kind of intervene in that. And if you actually want to control those phenomenon, you have to be an animator. Basically. That's the only way that you can have that kind of control, I think. Um, but so Kurosawa seems to be really good at like balancing that in this like last sequence that like these things, so much chaos is going on and yet it all just seems like, you know, he's just like rolling with it all. And it's like, yeah, that is the perfect shot of that horse doing horses. That flip it. Yes. It's always the horses. It's always the horses. <laughs> Honestly, that, that last sequence, it's like, and I, I read a little bit about it and, and the answer is just that they filmed like literally for, five days yeah. and they put together like unlimited reels and just use yeah. what they had. Yeah. Um, but it's like, you, you see the horses flopping around and it's just like, how did everything not just fall? It's like Koyana Scotsy, right? Where it's like, yeah. you, you speed that up. And when you see the cars passing each other, you're like, wait a minute, how aren't we all killing each other all the time? Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, it's, there's a, it's funny you brought up Waterloo because, um, 
in Day of the Locust, uh, the book, there is a specific sequence that is also about that. It's about trying to put together Waterloo and it sort of becomes their Waterloo, right? Because it's like all of a sudden they realize that like anytime you try to put together anything with moving parts, it's almost impossible to pull off. Like everybody has to be standing in the right place. And, and that's the sort of thing that like on another whole other level, it's just impossible to imagine how he pulled off what he got out of this movie. It's like, what so the I, fuck's going on? Yeah. Yeah. I don't want to like, uh, well, Aaron, Aaron, uh, you've got a, you've got a question here. You have more important stuff. To say, <laughs> I think go ahead. Um, little, little bit. Like, I think the, I think the thing that like does kind of blow my mind is like having that. And then also having the like shadows and the like family crests, like, in the right place at exactly the right time. And I like, I know for myself that like, this is, this has been the, the lesson I think that I'm learning more and more like during post-production is like, I know those things are out there. Like I'm very cognizant and like, like aware of them, but like to actually, to actually like nail that, that is, that is very difficult. Right. Because I don't know how, I don't know how he's he really just managed to get the like camera in the right place at the right time in those in some of those cases, right? With all this other stuff going on, right? To be able to kind of like I'm going to give up whatever this these horses are going to do for like four days, and it's just going to be chaos, and it'll it'll be perfect, right? Um, and then to like snap back, and it's like you know, no candle candle sword like you know man 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 and it's like th- just all of those things to have them like loaded with meaning in on both extremes that strikes me as like you know like that's the job that's that's very impressive <laughs> yeah I, I like the the messiness is like kind of yeah it's it is too still get the shot while still getting the like the little bits of character that like make something uh like like feel realistic and it's i it is always horses uh, i was thinking about this i was i was watching through tarkovsky's uh filmography and and andre rublev is another film that has big battle scenes where it's just horses fucking going crazy uh and it like i don't uh, maybe some of the folks here who watched lord of the rings again recently can can correct me on this but I, I feel like lord of the rings was kind of one of those films that helped set like the modern battle scene down to like a, a weirdly like uh like uh, clean feeling and this is not too much of a criticism because i like those films right but like i feel like something maybe was lost there were even even uh the shot of the three kind of generals and the takeda clan uh kind of riding off with the horses even that shot like the horses are just kind of sauntering left and right they're just kind of doing their own thing like they probably could have have gone for another shot of that but like i think you you miss something right like it, it feel it does feel more real when the, uh, these creatures are like kind of doing their own thing while while the shots going on. I don't know. I, I like I dig it. I think I think in a funny way, like some of those things also almost make it more dreamlike in a way. Like be, like because they're unpredictable. I I just watched I just watched um this is a a bit of a digression, but like I, I watched a. Uh, Bring me the hell- head of Alfredo Garcias recently, which Fuck is a real. Yeah. Love that movie. <laughs> that's a that's a great like talk about chaos, right? Like that yeah. film is like wall to wall chaos. Anyways, we're at the very. I'm just like watching the very beginning of the film, right? Um, and you know, there's like the girl sitting on the lake or whatever, and there's like the geese or the swan or whatever. And I was like, these 
these birds are just like flapping around. They're just mooching about being, you know, birds or whatever. But I'm like, I'm convinced that if that film for whatever reason was made like last year or something like that, those birds would just like, I can just tell that they'd be like set there, you know, in, in, in stone. They'd maybe they'd even be real birds, but just like for some reason they'd be placid. I don't like I gotta, that. I got to take back. Sorry. It is not Lord of the Rings. It is, thinking about it, it is the Star Wars prequels. It is it is that episode one ass droids in a row that is like the thing, right? It is the mathematical like division of enemy ranks. Like I, I think I'm going to blame George Lucas despite his you know, involvement with this film. You know what? I, I, I think I, I think uh, I think it's a little bit of both, right? Like I think that the Lord of the Rings is maybe the last time that we saw anything that like kind of dipped into the Kagemusha, you know, style of things, right? Like, yeah, yeah. Man, it's so interesting too. I really love that that dreamlike point you made, Peter, because it's so true that like this is the sort of movie that doesn't disguise the fact that it's a movie, really, right? It's like I don't really know that you're supposed to be like like swept away. I think that the the materiality of it and like the filmic techniques are supposed to be on display, but that is itself also a feature, right? It, it's like it's part of the whole dreamlikeness and part of the whole um like remember the construct element, right? It's a very postmodern thing, right? Where like you're supposed to be paying attention to not only uh the story you're watching, but also how you're watching right it's a movie that wants you to think about the fact that it's a movie and to start to think about therefore like what movies are that's maybe the most like kurosawa thing about this film right like that's like it's because he uses those things as like tools that make it so cinematic right like you know we were talking about uh, i think uh uh cody was talking about the like uh the the atmosphere you know the the the, the wind and the rain like he just seems to be this fucking master of the elements i don't know how he does that but you, you know it's like no i am gonna have it like like raining you know because it looks inc- like it's incredible to have that constant movement and it'll be like meaningful it's like he's not doing it on accident but the rain is chaotic Yeah. Or like, I'm thinking about that, the one specific shot where like, there are the soldiers marching um, across the field while the sun sets behind them. And then in the foreground, there are a bunch of soldiers that are like in shadow and they're like, they're um, resting and they're, they're so tired. And it's like the sort of thing where it's just like, it, it almost takes you out of the movie just because of how fucking like unbelievably gorgeous and intentional the shot is, but in a good way, right? Like, again, it's like, it's, it's a feature, not a bug. It's something that like it, it wields that to an effect that enhances the entirety of the project. Yeah. There there is this, like uh, that, that shot in particular reminds me of like this, this quote from, from Kurosawa. I think it's in the Kurosawa uh, Truffaut book or there's something like this where like Kurosawa talks about, um, you know, oh, well, that shot only works because like you can't see the, you know, like the the airport that was just to the left of it or the lorry over there or anything like that. You know, it's just like because I set the camera in the right place. And like when filmmakers like read that, they're like, oh, genius. Right. Um, and it's like, yeah, that's 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 true. But like, boy, he's just like doing that. He's he is just doing that like all the time to pull this stuff off. I'm I'm, I'm quite convinced. Maybe not in Kagemusha because he did have you know, the Coppola and Lucas money like coming at him. But like, um, I, yeah, if you don't do some of that, I, I, I think you're kind of, you're not quite, you're not quite nailing, you know, nailing, nailing the craft so much, you know, man in that in itself, 
uh, in retrospect, is like one of the great comedic moments of this movie, right? Is that when the credits <laughs> are going and you see executive produced by George Lucas and Coppola, it's like, oh, shit. Like, okay. <laughs> that makes sense, I guess, why this looks like it cost $10 trillion to make. Because it, it maybe did. Uh, yeah, well, that... God, it's really good to get your perspective on this. I'm glad that we leaned into that so heavily because uh, it is... Like, again, I'm not a person who thinks about the craft of movies so much unless it's like right in front of my face. So especially since this was your, I'm assuming, umpteenth time, at least a few seeing it and being able to go back through. And like you were mentioning at the top about how like there's a consideration now that maybe it's more literary and you're starting to notice like theme bringing being brought through in the format as well. I don't know. Just getting your perspective was so interesting. Shit, man. Anything you want to talk about? Anything else you want to cover on like the writing of it? Like, I would would love to hear it. Like, like I would like do it now. Like, because it's um, <laughs> it's it's just something that I don't I don't think I fully understand entirely. You know, it's uh, you know, I, honestly, if you want more of my thoughts, um, you'll have to subscribe to my Letterboxd. Uh, that's that's where I put all wow. of my deepest, darkest Patreon. thoughts about movies. And I my not, I, I, oh, shit, have I not followed Peter, you on Letterboxd? I don't know if you know this, but you are going to open up a Patreon now that you have a viral tweet. I don't know if you expect. I don't know if you oh, wanted me, this yeah. to come up on the pod, yeah. but yes, uh, well, I don't know if you saw this, tact- Peter. But a little tactless, but yeah. Um, no, we, Jason we can gloss over it. Yeah. I'm going to kick Aaron from the call. Uh, <laughs> I, I, sincerely, it, it is a, a wonder to have you on. Um, I want to give you one last chance to sort of mention what you got going before we transition to the noties segment. Uh, yeah. So, um, I don't know about my viral Twitters or anything like that. I'm very seldom on, on social media, but when I am on social media, it's at P Hoganson and pretty soon, uh, we should be seeing some more things about, uh, my short film life underground. Um, and again, if you're, you know, it's, it's a, it is a war film, although there's like this, this, you know, profound romance kind of like, uh, that, is more what it's about, I guess. Um, and, uh, we're, we're excited to see that, uh, in, in the coming weeks and months, I hope at this point. Um, and I mean, yeah, if you're looking to hire an editor, that's kind of what I do day to day. Awesome. Well, I will be refreshing P Hoganson <laughs> until there's something for me to see there. Uh, but, but for now, um, I'm going to ask you, unless you, you, you made some, some promises about how, how much you'd be able to help us, uh, segue into our final segment of the show. Cody's noties. Are you still up for that? Get ready. Get ready. Work out the voice, man. Drink some warm water and, and lemon or whatever. Yeah. All right. Uh, Cody, or Are sorry, ready? Harry. Yeah. Harry, you got to count us in. Yes, we will do it. On three, two, one. <gasps> Cody's, Cody's noties. We got it. Wow. We got it in one. Got it in one. <laughs> yeah, we did. Wow. Shit, I, think I, I, think I, I think I missed it on the recording, actually, though. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, again. <laughs> oh, no. I'm, looking again. I'm, I'm looking at your waveform. I don't see it either. I think you were on me. I think I just assumed that I couldn't hear it. Because, okay. We are no, actually no, giving no, this one. Let's do it for real. sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're doing it again. In three, two, Cody's noties. Cody's noties. <laughs> wow. Hey, and you know what? That's so great. It's so thematically important, right? Because now uh, with this intro, I'm seeing double. Well, now, our, double, now, now, our, so, now our theme song has a shadow is what it well, it's just like it's just like yeah. all that great stuff that peter said about like film is labor it's very irma vep right it's like we're see- you're seeing inside the irma process vep. like we're all you know oh, well. the, the podcasts are labors too right we're essentially working class is what i'm saying this is this is a hard sell for somebody who makes this for no money and doesn't make anybody <laughs> else any money for it but okay i'll, I'll accept it cody on with the game. We'll allow it. perfect well yeah yeah thank you for the introduction fellas uh there was a um a point last week when I set off mic 
uh, you know, I thought of a new Nodi segment that I could bust out in a few weeks' time. And then I remembered later, I didn't vocalize it, but uh, I wouldn't be present for any other recordings of the Kurosawa series. And this is Kurosawa Leaning. So uh, the, uh, that segment will make its debut today. And it is a little something I like to call Kagaraj Sale, sung to the tune of Kagemusha. Okay. With syllables. Um, I'm not thrilled about it either, but. Um, uh, here's the thing, fellas. Uh, I've got, I've got some really good news for you. Uh, all of you each have stumbled upon a, a humble little garage sale deep in the suburbs, uh, where all they sell is high definition physical media of Akira Kurosawa films. Uh, and even better yet, the the nice older gentleman running the sale noticed he noticed you walk up and he could tell that um, you know you appreciate fine cinema uh, so he hands you nine Kurosawa bucks nine Kurosawa bucks and those nine Kurosawa bucks um, they're they're yours but only only if you spend every last bit of the bucks at his sale. Um, you could argue he's not super interested in making a profit because he's just giving bucks away, but you shrug that little detail aside. Um, and so, yeah, this is a thinking exercise. It's been done in other forms. Uh, I got it from NBA Twitter, surprise, surprise, um, where like you get a certain amount of money and you build an all-star roster. Um, but what I've done here is I, and I sent a link in the group chat as well for the visual learners out there. Um, but what I've done is I've arranged Akira Kurosawa's works in descending order of letterboxed popularity um, and assigned dollar value. So his most popular works get uh, the $5 tier and then slightly less popular, $4, et cetera, et cetera. And so I'll, I'll list them out as well because this is uh, not a visual uh, medium. Uh, but um, yeah, ultimately what we want to know from each of you is what you'd spend those nine Kurosawa bucks on in this in this sale. Uh, perhaps you own some of these movies already in real life. Uh, for our purposes here, pretend that you don't. Um, so yeah, without uh, without further ado, I'll read them off here. So here are the price categories that we're working with, um, and feel free to think on that. Uh, we can cut to the game show music if we need it. Um, don't have to, um, but ultimately, I will look to Aaron first, and then go alphabetically by first name um, for the you know what you're going to go with. So just to prepare you all, but the five dollar tier, we've got Seven Samurai. Rashomon and Ron. At the $4 tier, we've got Ikiru, Yojimbo, and High and Low. $3 tier, we've got Throne of Blood, Dreams, and the Hidden Fortress. The $2 tier, we've got Sanjuro, Kagemusha, and Redbeard. And at the $1 tier, we've got Stray Dog, Dirisu Uzala, and Drunken Angel. So those are the tiers. Again, you've got nine Kurosawa bucks to spend at this old stranger's sale um hopefully he obtained those kurosawa bucks through legal means and it's not dirty money um that sort of is outside the scope of this exercise um i'm i'm still vamping um aaron how do you I feel got about it. i'm good you got it you got, got it? it all yeah, right yeah look i'm, I'm so, you know come on all right professional well, yeah, buying stuff at garage sales uh not quite jason level but pretty good <laughs> Uh, Jason is giving us the no-go, but hey, Kurosawa sales uh, hit differently, I imagine. So we'll go with Aaron. Um, If the subsequent folks in in line, again, alphabetical by first name, need more time, if you need to vocalize your thought process, that might be good (laughs) hashtag content. But we'll go with Aaron. Um, Open-ended exercise. Aaron, what are you picking up at this sale? All right. Uh, thought process here went a, went a few different ways. I mean, obviously, you want some you want something you already seen before. You really appreciate. Uh, you want maybe some that uh, you know maybe you've already seen before and it's just super rewatchable. And then maybe that you haven't seen. I, I haven't seen all these films. Uh, I in fact I haven't seen 
a uh, few of the ones that we recorded on because I wasn't able to when we first recorded on them. Uh, so that that's good for me. I think first mentioned it earlier, but uh, I got I got to go Redbeard. Uh, for $2, that's very cheap. It is my favorite Kurosawa. Uh, maybe not as rewatchable as other Kurosawas, but I think just having that, you know, it's my, it's my favorite. I, I got I to gotta do it. Uh, so I'm going to go Redbeard for $2, leaving me with $7. Uh, next, I got to go for, uh, uh, I think, the most rewatchable uh, and just kind of overall, uh, like, enjoyable to watch Kurosawa film, which would be uh, Yojimbo uh, for $4. Hell yeah. Puts me uh, uh, down $6, so I'm sitting at $3. Uh, and so, uh, uh, I think that I, you know, I have not seen, uh, Drunken Angel and I've heard it's good. That's $1. So I'll do that. That puts me $2 remaining. I've not seen Stray Dog, which I believe is Jason's favorite Kurosawa film. Uh, one that he, he, uh, frankly annoys me about quite a bit to watch and I, I should do it. Uh, so I'll buy Stray Dog for $1. That's leaving me with $1. Brother, I'm going to buy a beer with that last dollar. Kick back and watch some of these films. <laughs> I'm buying a Miller Lite, yeah, Natty yeah. Ice, whatever I can get for a dollar. Say, where store. are you buying a dollar beer in Chicago? I'm I'm going to the gas station and I am paying a dollar to a man walking into one to grab me something inside, <laughs> uh, and then I am going to my couch and I'm probably watching Yojimbo. And Bersu Uzala in absolute shambles, um, but he he begrudges Good film, me that but, dollar. You know, I'm thirsty. It. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's hey, understandable. Okay, well, nice. Got a got a good haul there. Um, four flicks and a beer. Why the hell not? Um, Harry, what are you coming away from this sale with? Hey, thanks. Uh, I would like to first point out that nine dollars is an absolutely brutal and amount for this exercise, Cody. So well done. Yes. You really made me. Uh, it <laughs> harmed me. Um, so I I felt a little bit obligated um seeing stray dog and dursu uzala down there at the number one tier really pisses me off because i love both of those movies dearly and so i feel like i had to represent them so i'm picking i picked both of those up first that did put me in an awkward position right because i actually want a bunch of the other movies as well that are on this list in particular i had to forego uh my four dollar picks although i would very much like all of those four dollar movies because they are all very good um although high and low is not one of my favorites which might be sacrilege uh but i had to go with kage musha we just watched it it's a bargain at two dollars it's a bargain really at any price um so that left me with five dollars remaining um and i thought i would just go with seven samurai because who's not gonna have seven samurai you know you just got you gotta have it uh so that's what i went with um the ones i most upset about leaving behind are uh probably ran ikiru uh yojimbo and uh redbeard i i actually would very much like redbeard despite my misgivings uh but that's that's what i've got i have no money left over so i'm gonna beg uh aaron to share his beer with me i suppose you love to see it um justice for redbeard etc um and justice for justice for jason's pickies whatever they might be we'll soon find out jason uh do you got a good haul for us the the garage sale savant of the crew well i'm pretty sure i could talk him down from five dollars on a seven samurai to maybe like three maybe like a maybe like a 350 if i really have to haggle um but honestly this man gave you money i think i think maybe we don't push it but that's fair (laughs) but you always push it you take more than you're given. Um, the I'm skipping the five dollar tier in general. Um, I think not not that they're not worth it, but as far as like movies, I really like in a pretend world where I don't already own any of these films on physical media. I still feel like I would rather I'm reserving the most of my money for a movie I have not seen uh, of Kurosawa's, and that is 
high and low. I, I'm going to buy high and low for $4, uh, leaving me with five. Um, I'm also going to buy Yojimbo at $4 uh, because it is an inarguable classic. It is the movie I would show somebody if they've never seen a Kurosawa movie to get them to like Kurosawa movies. That leaves me with one, just $1. And you know where I'm going with that one dollar. I'm going Brother? straight to straight. I'm going straight to Stray Dog, and I'm oh, Stray Dog, and I and I'm because it's a movie that I want to cherish forever. I I I'm not gonna fuck fuck fuck. Well, maybe I no. I'm, I'm sticking with it. We could be, the four we could crack beers together, bro. I mean, just, it's fine. Just, I just, just let me just let me like hover the can over my lips and and drink a little bit. Like as long as you haven't backwashed, I'm okay with that. Beautiful image to end on. Thank you, Jason. Um, and and Peter, take us home. Uh, what what are you coming away with from this very obscure garage sale found deep in the unnamed suburbs? <laughs> uh, yeah, this this one is going to be really. This is a very tough. Nine dollars is not enough. I absolutely would haggle. And uh, I think I'm going to have to go pretty like really just trying to get films that I like haven't seen um, very much of uh, as a matter of fact. So I'm really going to show like, like the limit limits limitations of my knowledge here. Um, I'm going with, uh, with high and low number one. Uh, I think that, I think that Harry and I might find some beef there, but I think that that, that one really is qu- like quite good. Uh, unfortunately I'm passing on seven samurai. Uh, which would be my five five dollar pick, but I just yeah gotta gotta skip gotta skip that. I have seen it before, um, so that leaves me with five dollars. Right, uh, I'm gonna go Hidden Fortress. I'm going to skip, uh, which I haven't seen, uh, although I know it, you know, through pieces. And then of course it's like you know influence obviously is really profound. Um, I'm gonna skip Kagemusha do have physical copies of that uh even though it is my <laughs> favorite <laughs> of of his films and so i'm going to pick up two one dollar bargains down there with drunken angel and dursu uzala uh which harry has sold me on um over the course of the last hour or so did um, i not sell you on Redbeard? you know i mean it's fine it's a it's a it's a great anyway it's a great <laughs> i'll pester yeah. you on twitter i'll i'll be in your dms yeah yeah please, just please do. Hey, have you seen redbeard yet have you seen redbeard yet hey peter have you seen redbeard just every single day maybe, be maybe there's film distribution issues getting that abroad i don't know maybe yeah okay <laughs> hey, uh, i'll keep my hands on it if i had to um yeah yeah but i <laughs> i have not seen that one it's true I uh, that's Co- Coach, cody i'm assuming yeah, and we never turn this mirror this wretched mirror back on <gasps> you um I'm assuming you, being more familiar with the format here, you've already mapped out your nine dollars. Well, see, yeah, we ripped I, off the mask of the Kurosawa salesman, and it was Cody all along. So <gasps> he had masked all of the these notes. Surprise! It's I do want to hear your answer, though, Cody. So pretend sure. you're not the the man behind the mask. <laughs> yeah, of course. No, I yeah, I put a little bit of thought into these. Um, the first pick is Yojimbo. That's my at this point my favorite Kurosawa. Um, so I got to pick it up. Um, and yeah, uh, man, yeah, nine dollars. Wow, what a oh, whoever put in that constraint. Come on, you jackass. Um, <laughs> um, uh, Ikiru is uh, a film that I've seen that I, I watched within the past year or so, and that is one that I would like to revisit uh, eventually, um, maybe sooner than some of the rest. Um, I, I'm not 
person, I mean, I haven't seen dreams. Um, and like, I, I, part of me wants to pull the trigger on like Kagemusha, um, honestly, like Redbeard too. There's even like a sick part of me that like wants Sanjiro just as like the, like <laughs> the lesser sort of like cushion for, it's like, I'll watch you Jimbo and then oh, I'll watch Sanjiro just to get, you know, yin and yang together. But, um, the, the two competing really weird energies of those movies. But, um, uh, I, I'm gonna, I'll, I'll go with Ikiru, uh, which I know occupies the other, you know, big portion of my budget and $1 tier. I spent a lot of time thinking about it. Honestly, like Drunken Angel, Stray Dog, Derisu Uzala, any of them would be like, those are fantastic value picks all around. Um, maybe it's recency bias, but Derisu Uzala was my pick just because I like the the wholesome um, humanistic uh, like enterprises of that movie. And it's it's beautiful as well. Um, so, you know, maybe it's something where I, uh, I crack open a beer of my own or smoke a little something of my own and i just have that movie playing on a just a tv for for two and a half hours look at all these dope images of two buds kicking it in nature um yeah those are my picks and i don't know if this is uh too unhinged to introduce right now but if you had a budget of ten dollars ten kurosawa bucks two beers brother like two beers i was gonna say off the cuff like how would your how would your halls change? Um, mm. <laughs> we can add one dollar beer as a buffer if I, you would. Rather I personally would. Uh, I would. Unf- I would hate to do it, but I would drop you a Jimbo, and then I haven't seen Ron, so I would, I would do that. And then, you know what? I got a new experience okay. in there. Got, yeah, yeah, that's what I would do. Uh, I think that I would uh, pick up Seven Samurai, stick with High and Low, uh, and Dara Salah. Like I think I would just you know m- move move those other you know things around to to pick up. I think what, you know, barring maybe my personal opinions on, on like Kagemusha and just like how highly I vaunt that film. Like, uh, I think that seven samurai is like, maybe, maybe like arguably on like a sort of a critical level, like this, this is the one, right? Like it really is that good. And I would, you know, love to have a better copy of what I saw it. And I saw it in a really shitty DVD, you know, presentation ages and ages ago. Um, and I, I want to see it in its, you know, glory. Well, Criterion, you heard it here first. Get that yeah, fucking Blu-ray box. I traveled to the Trilon a few years ago. It's on yes. film, yeah. Uh, I think that I didn't. I don't want to like rearrange too much, and I think I would have to because I really like my picks. But I haven't seen Drunken Angel, um, so I would love to be able to snap that one up. Um, also it's funny, uh, unfortunate, right. But I think you're right, Cody. I think Sanduro is pretty, pretty obviously the like least wantable on this list, but Hey, listen, the last 10 minutes of that movie fucking rock. So, uh, there's, there's something there. Um, also I should say high and low is very, very good. Uh, it wasn't my favorite because of the middle act, but, uh, listen, like that is not a bad movie. <laughs> I'm in a similar camp. I I definitely I do not besmirch anybody for liking high and low. It's not one of my personal Kurosawa favorites, but I definitely get it. It's like I, crazy uh, what's sorry. If I sh- it's like crazy what's at the two and one dollar level of this right. thing. Absolutely, like, that you need the- to go check those out. You know, <laughs> folks, uh, we have the numbers. We can take this old man quite easy. Just beat the shit out of him. <laughs> take all his movies. We're we can buy all the beers we want. We're kicking back. It's fine. A good way to find yourself the uh, in the line for crucifixion in the next two weeks. Ah, thematically appropriate. Um, I think I drop 
high and low and pick up dreams and Redbeard because I know that Aaron's just going to be nagging and just making a fucking shit ton of noise but for no reason because I didn't pick up Redbeard. He's going to be like, what? You didn't pick up Redbeard? We went to separate garage sales, had the same opportunity, same films, and you didn't pick up Redbeard? And he's just didn't you just watch Redbeard again like a day or two ago? I thought you logged Me? it. Huh? Oh, no, I logged it because I realized I never logged it back in 2019 when we first saw uh, it. But Letterbox is like, oh, you saw these movies? You saw this movie three Let's years ago? It's announced to everybody. You watched it yesterday, yeah. right? It's bizarre. Uh, but yeah, I, I, I clinch my, my 10 with Yojimbo, Stray Dog, Redbeard, and, uh, and Dreams. Still got a movie there that I haven't seen, even though nobody calls it his best movie, I guess, Dreams. But we will right. see because I'll be seeing yeah. it at the trial on cinema. Hey. In Minneapolis, Minnesota. Um, and that could have been a really nice transition, but I'm going to clog it up with with my Thanks. picks. Um, y- yeah, no. Um, I, I kind of feel bad. Like y'all made inspired. Like oh, I haven't seen this, so I'm going to buy it. Uh, picks, which is usually me in real life. Um, I did not, for whatever reason, employ that in this exercise. Uh, like in my own little thought process before we jumped on. But uh, I'm keeping Yojimbo and Dersu Uzala, and I'm dropping Ikiru for Rashomon because of how much we talk about it's uh, a perfect film. Um. Uh, pretty perfect it is, film. It is um, like I, one of the. I would. I've. Yeah. Go ahead. Sorry. I was going to say it's absolutely a building block of this podcast. That movie. Like it. It's we very, are, yeah, we, yeah. We have a whole damn Golden Berries category named after it. It yeah. shows up in the noties like every other week. It's also um, like one of yeah. four Kurosawa movies we haven't done an episode on, which is pretty funny. Right. Yeah. yeah yeah so I, I i gotta lock it down there's a certain obligation that i feel to to maintain my honor and if i get shot down um you know get heading to the shelf to to pick it up and i float down a, a river um from you know as i float past the at my house banner well so be it um but yeah th- thank you fellas for making your purchases at the the Ka garage sale um we have just lined this man's pockets with like twenty dollars more than he really deserves i don't know why we did that to ourselves could have just we could have just bought these from a corporation and enriched another guy's pockets. Uh, well, that is our episode about Kagimusha, a wonderful uh, Kurosawa film, which you should watch if you can, any way you can. Uh, but if you missed it at the Trilon, you know that's that's just a little bit too bad, I guess. But there are remaining films in the LG for Master late Kurosawa series playing at the Trilon throughout February uh, and beyond. That we got all sorts of cool series, including Godzilla, Satoshi Kon. Odd Man Out, Carol Reed, a lot of cool stuff coming to the Trilon in the next few months. Please check it out at Trilon.org. You can also find the Trilon at Trilon Cinema. This podcast is called Trilove. Uh, it's a portmanteau of Trilon and things that you love. So just, you know, we'll, we'll establish the lore of the fiction going forward, but um, just know that as the reference point. You can find us on Twitter at Trilove Podcast. We don't have a website because what the hell are we going to put there? Uh, and my name is Jason Daphnis. Thank you so much to Peter Hoganson again for being on our podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And we would love to host you again let us know if there's another movie that you want to discuss thanks so much for having me uh i will let you know um in in the future uh, and i look forward to hearing from you guys and from you know anyone else that you have on the show in the, in the upcoming uh weeks and months <laughs> if if i really wanted to put you like on the breaker i would ask what is your favorite episode of try love but i'm not going to do that i'm going to outro leave you off the hot seat because we put you on it for the whole episode my name is jason daphnis you can find me on twitter at nintendoofus I've been Cody Narvison. Uh, shout out to Peter, who is a real one, for joining us and making this a uh, really cool conversation. Um, love to see that happen. Uh, and you can find me on Twitter at Cody underscore BH. 
I've been Harry Mackin. Uh, yeah, thank you so much, Peter. Definitely check out Life Underground. Uh, it's going to rock. Can't wait to see it. Can't wait to hear more about it. Um, I think that the Patreon's still up. Is that true? Uh, so maybe that's a place you can get more information on it. Um, if not, then it might be the Twitter. Yeah, well, I'm keep a it's 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 on my it's on my to do list of like like start up the social media engine. Yeah, and stuff. right. Like I like uh, so you know Insta- instagram uh our, our kickstarter is 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 closed now although if you want to read about the project it is the place to uh find 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 out more. yeah there's like, a lot of good info on that kickstarter yeah yeah um and then i mean just see the film like when uh when it, as as when and as it becomes available hell yeah so yeah definitely check that out uh thanks again peter um looking forward to the rest of the kurosawas yeah, my, my name is Aaron. Uh, yes, thank you, Peter. Uh, we've gone so far uh, without mentioning it. So I'll mention that uh, Peter is welcome not only because of his uh, you know vast film knowledge and uh, friendship with uh, members of this podcast, but also because he's a Chicago guy. Thank you for being another Chicago guy in this podcast full of Minnesota people. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at RBPlease. Our late Lord has been ill. He must <clears throat> refrain from writing. <laughs>